0: We begin a series today that we're calling The Story of Our Faith. Now, we know that every story has a beginning, but when we think about the story of our faith as followers of Jesus, the beginning was not the beginning. There was already someone in the beginning. The author of this story of our universe says that he was already here before even a before could be said, and it's mind-boggling to think about it. Uh, it's a daunting task to think about the one who is the author of everything. Uh, I feel inadequate for this task, uh, so I want you to know that. Uh, I asked my son, who is a graduate student art major at Otis College of Art and Design, how many of the great artists have tried to think about what the subject is today, that this God who created all, who stands outside of time and entered into time, and he was very helpful to me. He said that artists have tried to depict what God is like in many, many ways, but three main ones, and I'll I'll show them to you, I think they're helpful to us. Uh, One, and I think many of you have seen pictures like this, that God is often a figure that takes on like a Zeus-like, powerful appearance, and and we picked out just one that is here, this uh, famous painting by uh, William Blake, The Ancient of Days. Do you see the tremendous strength trying to capture something of the uh, power of God some people will say, well, it looks a little bit like our former governor, but uh, I don't know what you think about that. But I see what's trying to be captured there, this sovereign power of God. I feel it when I see that painting. Many, though, have said, especially in the, in the Christian uh, tradition have read, or, or the Jewish tradition have read the the, the Second Command that we aren't to make images to God. So so many other of the great artists who come come out of our background will picture God in other ways. For example, as a light breaking into this dark world and bringing light and hope into hopeless situations. And one of the great sculptures, Bernini, has this ecstasy of Saint Teresa. Do you just see the, the hope that is there as even in a sculpture, light is breaking in to a time of difficulty? Others have pictured God in a different way. Uh, so many of the paintings will have God simply as a hand reaching down, trying to capture in one sense that God stands outside time and outside the universe, but He's not just that. He's not just transcendent. That's the word for it. But He's imminent. He reaches into the world. And here we have the Apsa mosaic that's at San Clemente, in, in, in Rome, do you, do you see how at the very top uh, the God who stands outside the world is reaching in, even in the time of the cross? Now you may say, oh, of course, you know, those are those ancient primitive uh, people thinking that there is a God beyond this world. Nobody's really interested in that anymore. Well, that's not true. This interest uh, continues into the contemporary world, just picking out a couple of them Mary McCleary who sometimes will put images of eyes over all of her work. Do you see that? Eyes everywhere, trying to capture something of God's omniscience. He knows everything. His omnipresence, He's everywhere there. It's kind of eerie when you look at it, don't you think? Or one that I especially wanted to show you is Baldessari's piece. It's called God Knows. And as you look at that painting, you see, uh, some have already seen it, uh, a God pictured uh, in the place where most people in this world think that God is located up there in the skies somewhere. but that God is also involved in this world, God knows. Do you see the nose? Anybody? Now most people, as you look at all of that, I, it's so thought-provoking. The more you think about it, the more striking it becomes. I think most of us, as, as you see, just this small. Uh, sampling of paintings will say, well, God is more than that. God is greater than those things. And I'm guessing that the artists themselves would be in full agreement. They were trying to take on, in, in so many ways in their paintings, the very same thing I'm trying to do today, using my feeble words to talk about the God who is the maker of this universe, but who is also involved in this in this universe. I just I feel so inadequate to this task because I believe that God is not just out there, but here and in our midst. I don't know if you even think about trying to do a message about somebody who's here sitting there listening to you talk about them. Saying, well, you didn't get that quite right, I don't think. <laughs> I have sensed this, this desire to want to honor the Lord in talking about this, this subject. But I do have two things going for me, don't I? Number one, that, that God Himself has revealed Himself through words in This His Word. If I can just be faithful to this, we have some hope of being faithful to the God who is the author of our story, right? And second, I'll just tell you this, that the God about whom I'm going to be speaking is not just the subject I study, but the very center of my own life. He is my Heavenly Father. And though I am telling you, what I myself know about Him probably scratches what, .001% of all that God is? He is my Father, and I'm growing to know Him better. And as much as I can understand from His Word and my walk with Him, I want to talk to you about Him. Uh, I, as your pastor, we, as your ministry council, have tried to use words to summarize in our first article of the Statement of Faith... Something about this God who is the the one who began it all and who is in charge of it all and who will bring it all to completion. And this is what we've written. Just look at it. We believe in one God, creator of all things, infinitely perfect, and eternally existing in a unity of love in three equally divine persons the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Having limitless knowledge and sovereign power, God has graciously purposed from eternity to establish a redeemed family from among all peoples and to make all things new to His glory. We want you to know in this story that we call the gospel, the good news, filling the Bible, the good news from God, it originates in and it manifests the holy love of, of the eternal, triune God that we believe in. So here we are. We are here to worship God, right? What is, we, what is He like? When we open up God's Word, what do we see First. I'll tell you the first thing that you see, if you can imagine opening this book for the first time, knowing it is the Word of God. We see that it is an overture about God. It is God I see turning to us and saying, you have been made my image. Intuitively, you know there has to be something more in this world than just yourself, right? And more in this world than simply material things. I am going to tell you who I am. Whatever else we read about Genesis chapter 1, we see that that is what God is doing. 35 times in just 34 verses, we find it talking about God. God is the subject of verse 1. He is the subject of the last verse of the chapter as well. I see God saying, listen, you have been made to know me, so now I am going to make myself known to you. And today we're just going to take on two aspects of what God reveals in those opening chapters. Throughout this entire series, and I pray that you will come, throughout this entire series, every week, we're going to learn some more about how God reveals Himself to be. But there are two main parts that are highlighted in, uh, in, in these this opening scr- uh, chapters of Scripture. They're the ones that so many of the great artists have tried to capture as well. On the one side... This power and majesty of God. The things that we have talked about God being infinitely perfect, eternally existing, about His sovereign power. But the other amazing thing that's put right next to it is His relational nature. All right, we're going to start with where I see God starts, revealing Himself. I'm going to cover some ground I covered a year ago, but I want us to put it together quickly just to see again the greatness of this God. And Revelation number one in Genesis 1 and 2 is that God is, always has been, and always will be a God of infinite perfection, unlimited knowledge, eternal existence, and sovereign power. See, my sermon got longer when I wrote the notes so you can see it up there. Now let's just walk through it quickly. You open up this word, and the first thing that God declares in his word is, I am. You wonder if, if there's a God, I am. If you've read very much of the Bible, you know that when you get to Exodus 33, Moses has been obeying God for a long time by Exodus 33. He's become an older man, and essentially what he does is he goes to God and he says, Listen, you know everything about me. I know that. But I don't know you, I don't know you personally. Will you make your name known to me? And in Exodus 33 and 34, God does. To know the name in the in, in ancient Jewish world is to know something about the person. And so he has Moses go and hide in the cleft of a rock because he's not to see God. And with a cloud, God passes in front of him. And the first words that he declares is Yahweh, Yahweh. Jehovah, Jehovah. Almost certainly meaning, I am who I am. What I want you to see is when the Bible opens in its overture it starts with this phrase in the beginning God in the beginning God and God created the heavens and the earth well do you see what God is saying that before any material thing in this world was I am before you were and your parents were and your grandparents were I am Before time was, this uh, flux of change that we call time and we can't even think about because the word before means nothing if you don't have time. That's why it's a mind-boggling sermon. Uh, God says, I am. Okay, you know children almost always ask the question, uh, who started God? Mom, you gave birth to me. Grandma gave birth to you. Who gave birth to God? And the answer of Scripture is, no one. God is the first cause. God opens His book by saying, look inside yourself. Again, you know intuitively that there has to be something greater than yourself, I am. You know, you search for beginnings and origins to things. I am. And I I want you to say, don't be fooled by the many, many people who try to tell you that all of the ancient stories of origins begin with a first cause, an uncaused God, an uncaused deity. They don't the ones that people always point to that have some things in comparison to the Genesis 1 account, the Babylonian account, the Egyptian account, the Akkadian account, they all start with something already existing. And what they are, they talk about how the gods come into being. They are theogenies, the origin of the gods. You want know what the Bible says? No, 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 no. Before anything was, I am. Who is God? He goes on, second. And I want you to know then, That if you look in this world and you want to know me, I am the maker, not the made. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. Look at chapter 1, verse 2, just the way it's described. It's so beautiful. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. But where is God? The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Um, It's a picture uh, that is often used for a mother bird, uh, hovering over... Over her uh, offspring that she really cares for, uh, but I want you to see how different this is from the way that so many religions think about things. Uh, those of us who have grown up in, in the Western world, uh, in the history of, of, of people thinking about God, uh, most people have tried to see God as being a part of something made. Of being, it, they, they worship the sun, uh, the fire, uh, the wind. Usually polytheism, usually many gods. Those of you who have grown up in more of the eastern world, it usually is in some ways all that is is, a, is a, a reflection or a part of God himself. We are a part of God. It's pantheism. All is somehow God, and it's what's affected uh, New Age religions in our own country. Here in uh, Southern California, we believe... What, what do we believe about ultimate things? Uh, Just looking at it, it seems to me most of us live, if the way we live reflects what we believe, we live as if our money or our career or our own pleasure or our own interest, that those are the ultimate things. It just seems to me that most of us are tugged toward living as if I am the center of the universe. So practically speaking... We have put ourselves into the place of God. I just want you to know that whether you go from the ancient eastern, western, or the modern southern California view of God, Genesis 1 cuts through all of that and tells us that you're not going to find God simply by looking at what has been made. Yes, it shows us something about the Maker and His power, but it is not God. And I'll tell you, you're not going to know God by looking in the mirror either, in case you wondered. And this won't surprise you. I, as your pastor, am not God. And you aren't either. See, God is declaring all that is I have made. When you look at this world and you wonder what's behind it, who's behind it all. I am and I am the maker, not the made. Now, that goes on. Is this something impersonal? And God declares in Genesis chapter 1, I am a who, not a what, which to me is one of the most striking parts of Genesis 1, the, the personal nature of God, that, that really it's positioned as an artist creating, making something simply by speech, different from artists now. It's ex nihilo. He, it, it's, it's made out of nothing. And at the end of the creation account, it is as an artist who's finally finished the masterpiece looks at it and says that's good. God looks at what he's made and he says, that's very good. And in fact, when you read it through, you just see again and again, and God said, and God said, and God said, he is a God who speaks. And all of that means is, I hope that the world you and I live in is not a random event. It it changes the way we look at the world, that when things happen, they aren't meaningless and absurd. The beginning of Genesis tells us that the world that we are in is a purposed product of a powerful person. A purposed product of a powerful person, someone who knew what he is doing, a personal God. So, So that as we live here, and so many try to posit that the thing that is eternal in our universe is material. And that the way the universe began is by some sort of a random event, collision of particles that brings things about, a a random event in a meaningless universe. And then we, we come together and we live life, and things happen, and we know why did that happen. We try to live meaningful lives, but it's not going to be found unless there is someone to whom we can turn. And Genesis 1 says, if there's going to be good news in this world, you need to know that in the beginning God, and God is a person. Well, as we keep walking through this thing about this powerful God who made this universe, this God who is a person also says, and I need you to know this too. uh, I am a God of order and purpose and beauty. I, I don't know how you keep your room, if it's just absolutely messed up, and as if it looks like there is no sense behind all of this. But God's world is not like that. Sometimes it looks like that to us. And yet the Bible lets us know from the beginning that God knows what he's doing and what he is bringing about will ultimately be beautiful. Uh, this, this part, just briefly, my friends who are scientists and mathematicians, and I'm guessing artists as well, love this part of what God says about himself. Genesis chapter 1 just shows us the purpose and order with which God creates. It all begins with chaos, and He begins to bring about order. Uh, It's darkness, but He separates darkness and light. uh, A sort of a disordered expanse, and then the sky and the dry land become separated. And then there's, there's no life here. It's inanimate. And life begins... And then life moves from simple life to life made in the very image of God. Each piece that goes is dependent upon what happened before it. What God is saying is, if you want to know me, I am creator, but I am also a craftsman. I am an artist who takes things that at one moment may look chaotic and disordered. And by the time I'm done, it will be Very good. I'll just say at this point, do you see how this understanding of God is the only thing that brings good news into our world where at the moment it looks like there is no good news? Does that make sense to you? That the God who reveals himself as one who takes chaos and brings it into beauty and goodness is still doing the same thing. That he can take a cross which looks so senseless in the eyes of the world, and turn it into the very way that He is going to bring about His greatest masterpiece of a redeemed people who bring glory to His name. And it means that when we're walking through chaotic times and we think about who is God, we look at this and we say, God, we're in the midst of what seems to be disordered, but You are a God who won't leave it that way. This is what makes good news possible. Amen? That God is a God who knows what He's doing and He's working to bring about order and beauty. All of that, that hope, is rooted in God's revelation of Himself in Genesis chapter 1. And then He declares, And I am the God who is in control of what we ask, of everything. I don't know if you noticed in our statement of faith we have a God of sovereign power, um, Many people wonder what that word sovereign is about. Sometimes we use it as just the word for a king. It really has to do with who is in control. And, and Genesis chapter 1 has us picture God standing outside of the universe and speaking and commanding. And when he, the time comes for him to command something to happen, it happens until ultimately that beauty comes about. And in this, there is a principle that permeates Scripture. I want you to make note of this. It's the beginning of the Gospel. It is obedience to God's Word that leads to beauty. You see, as all of the things, inanimate or not, as they respond to the speech of God, ultimately goodness comes about. And as human beings come in who have abilities this awesome ability to make choices come in, the principle still stands. It is obedience to the word and will of God that leads to beauty. And the flip side is also true. That always when we see messed up things in our lives, we can see disobedience to God that has led to it. So what we see when we ask God, who are you? We open up this book and we see that the God we believe in is a God of infinite perfection, unlimited knowledge, and sovereign power. But then we move to this second piece that's there as well. It is such a beautiful thing. It's almost unimaginable that this powerful God also is, always has been, and always will be a relational God as well. Do you have your Bible? Look over at verse 26 one more time. I think I put it up here because I just want you to look at it again. Then God said, Let us... you see that? Let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. And then eventually God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. Now, I'm sure you've seen this, but do you see how this one God, this one God who is Creator, has this place where the pronouns are plural. This has led to endless debate among religious people and among scholars. Sometimes people say, well, what is happening here is that there are ancient documents that people are trying to forge into one. And so the, uh, the Jewish people eventually believed that there was only one God, but they probably had an ancient document where an hour was used where they believed in many gods uh, up there doing this so that somehow they forgot to change this part. Others say this is, well, no, this is like the plural of majesty that you have in some languages where you would refer to the king as a we instead of as, as, as a you. Uh, there's so many things that have been said about this. I'll just tell you, I, we don't have time to walk through all of that. The commentary I make available talks a little bit about some of that. All I want you to know is what I, as your pastor, see here is that we have an early indication of something that God is like that becomes much clearer once Jesus comes. That there is one God, but God has never existed alone. One God. And if this goes beyond your human imagination, I just tell you, if God doesn't go beyond our human capability, He isn't God. (laughs) But He makes Himself as a God who has always existed in community. And that's why we have tried so hard to find. We believe in one God who is the creator of all things, who is infinitely perfect and exists eternally, but he exists eternally in a unity of love in three equally divine persons the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That the God who is in this place has always existed in relationship. He is a relational God by his very, very nature which then leads immediately in verse 26 into saying He made us as human beings in His image. Now, when you get to chapter 2, beginning with verse 7, we have God, after completing creation, moving back again into the sixth day of creation, into the time where human beings were made. And for the very first time in verse 18, God, in the midst of His creation, looks and He says, There is something there that's not good. You know what wasn't good? Look at that. The one made in my image is alone. You're with me here, right? The God who has always existed in relationship made us in His image. And if we are going to be in His image and reflect what God is like to this world, we're not going to do it in isolation. The way that we are meant to live is in healthy relationship. And if you read chapters 1 through 3, it begins with God at the center of that relationship being God. But it also includes people like ourselves. So God looked at that and He said, this is not good. And He did something about it. He created a helper suitable so that we could reflect His image. Now, I've just jotted down a few implications that I want you to think about. You see, when we take this time to look at God, then it changes our whole view of ourselves and of the world that we live in and how we should live and really, of our church. Number one, God has always existed in relationship. And the point is, human beings made in His image have been made for relationship. We're not going to really live unless God is in His rightful place and we have reconciled relationships with people. Relationships of love. Number two. Therefore, you and I are whole. We experience life as God meant for it to be lived. We experience shalom, if I can use that Jewish term. Only when we live in healthy relationship with God in His rightful place and with reconciled relationships to one another. Where the walls that separate people from people are down. Number three. This powerful God the one that we've just been talking about, who brings everything into existence simply by speaking, also notices that one man is alone. That means so much to me. This powerful God who was before the beginning notices one man and that that something wasn't good and that he cares about it. And number four, he doesn't just care. He uses his power to act, to bring blessing and wholeness. He makes a, a helper suitable for him. That's why I wanted to start. We think about this unlimited sovereign power of God. How does God use that sovereign power? I, are you, you should be much more amazed-looking than you are at this... That the maker of the universe takes notice of one person. It's one of the most amazing things I could ever even talk to you about. Now sadly, because we're made in God's image, I mean the good part is we have this tremendous opportunity to make responsible choices, but already by chapter 3, the man and woman use that ability to choose to walk away from God. God acted to make their lives whole, and then they didn't want him anymore. Chapter 3, they try to put themselves into the place of God. We'll talk about this more in just a couple of weeks. They walk, and it messes everything up. It messes up their own lives. You read it in chapter 3. For the first time, they feel shame and they're hiding, which is kind of a silly thing to try to hide from God who's made everything. And we try to do it too, don't we? Here we come into church. And we say that God is here, and we have something in our lives that we're just not giving to Him. We're trying to hide it from Him. He knows. God knows. Remember the. Well, some of you remember. I keep thinking about that painting. You need to know that God knows. So you may. But so it's messed up their own lives. The relationship with one another was messed up for the first time. The man and the woman are blaming one another, and that hasn't stopped either, has it? And the relationship with the world was harmed. No longer in Eden. And yet, amazingly, just as God noticed the one man, and he came and he says, I care, and he met that need. After Adam walked away from the God who had come to meet him, seeking after him, God still seeks again. Genesis 3, it's such a beautiful thing. This relational God seeking after people in his image knowing that hiding, filled with shame and blame, is not the way we're supposed to live. But what happens is then that they continue to walk away from Him as people have. And still we have this sovereign, powerful God. And what does the story of our faith tell us? That just as God noticed and cared about Adam, He cares about Adam's offspring made in His very image. And the message of the Bible is He began to come. And ultimately He did come. And in the Christmas story in the New Testament, God came in the person of Jesus seeking. Do you see it? Seeking to rescue people who are lost. Coming after us so that he can again bring people back into right relationship with him, with God at the heart of our lives, and into right relationship with one another. God is still creating and recreating. God is still turning chaos into beauty and into order. And when God is done, his greatest masterpiece. Look at Ephesians 2.10. That's the very word that he uses. His greatest masterpiece is that he's going to take people who have sinned and who were dead in our transgressions. Forgive us of that sin, cast it as far as east is from the west. Again, begin dwelling with us as our God and bring us into right relationship with people from every tribe and language and nation. We resist it at times. We like to be with people just like ourselves. The Jews didn't want to worship with Gentiles and Gentiles didn't want to worship with Jews. We want to know God. We don't want to be brothers and sisters with them. God says, my masterpiece is that you will be one family. And he plants his masterpieces, local representations, where he's still doing his work, into communities just like he has Lake Avenue Church right here. And he says, in this place I will reign. And in this place you can again bring me into your life through faith in Jesus. And uh, in this place you can show this world some of my greatness as you who come from all of the world. Come together, looking so different, different ages, different backgrounds, but live in right relationship because that's the way I have made you in my image to live. See, this is what Jesus was getting at. John chapter 13, how will people know that you are my followers? How are they going to see me in you? It's when you, having been made right with God, now love one another. The, the prayer in John chapter 17. Father, the family, you, your masterpiece is going to bring people from, together from every tribe and language and nation. But Father, I have to pray for them because they need help. My prayer is that they will be one so that the world may see that I am in you and you are in me and they are in us. Do you, you see? That's what he's talking about, Genesis 1 and 2. And getting at what our church is supposed to be. It's why a church that worships together in unity. That won't insist, well, I just want to worship God alone on the golf course. Or I just want to find my own small group of people just like myself. Because for me to have to give up my preferences and worship with people so different, that, I don't like that. But when we do that, we give... we won't see the fullness of God nor will we declare to our world so much of this glory of God the one God who has eternally existed in three equal persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've been thinking our time is, is gone. I've been praying so much about from a message like this thinking about the most important person in our lives what I want you to take home with you. There are two... I want us to think and pray about this. I'll give us a moment at the end to do so. The first thing I want us to think about and take home is I want us to remember again that if our lives are going to be made right, if we're going to be forgiven and begin to live the way God made us to live, set free from bondages, shame, no longer having to hide, that God is always the one who comes to us first. I want us to think about that because it's only gratitude for the willingness of this kind of God to come to us and to love us that will make us willing and ready to live for Him. See, a Christian faith is one of responding to a God who comes seeking after us. It's not that I have to earn my way there. And the Bible always is. God takes the first step. It's while we were sinners, Christ died for us. After Adam had sinned, it was God who came looking for him. And that's and still happening. We walk away from God. We want to keep this thing to myself. God comes and He says, I already know. And you're not going to find joy in that. It, it's not that first we say, okay, if I can start loving God more, maybe He'll really want me in His family. No, no, no. It's not that we love God first. It is that He first loved us the heart of the Christian message. But, but we must respond to that. You see, it's always God who takes the initiative. But we must respond. And I'm telling you, when we say, Father, uh, okay, I'm going to trust you, God enters into our lives and only one of us is going to be God. And that's, we have to say this when you invite this kind of God into your life. It means He takes over. And I think that is the main thing that keeps people from the Christian faith and from God. It's not intellectual issues. The main thing is that the God of the Bible commands things and they happen, but we human beings don't want to be commanded. I thought, no, I had to stop there. It, it all started with people wanting to be God. Adam and Eve wanting to take God's place. And that's where we are now. We we might want some of the benefits, but the benefits only come when God begins to recreate speaking into our lives, and us sometimes saying, I don't quite see it, but Father, Your will, not mine. Uh, And in keeping with that, when we invite this kind of God in, it's not just a powerful God, it's a God who at the end is able to look back and say, that's good, and then He was able to look at Adam and say, there's something here not good, And a God who could do that can evaluate us. We don't want to be commanded. We don't want to be evaluated. And yet when we finally get to that point of saying, Father, going it my way has not led to goodness and beauty. I give myself in faith to you. I trust Jesus to rescue me from my sins. And I ask you to be my Lord. Then beauty begins to happen. And he begins to speak. And to work all things for good. So I'm going to want you today to think about those parts of your life that you might still be hiding from God. Or thinking that you're hiding. Thoughts, words, acts. I'm going to ask you to just give that to God again. The second thing, Coleman, and the final one is that when we are made right with God, this, this still is amazing to me, because of His gracious love and through His power, then God entrusts to us both the message of who He is and the mission to offer His reconciliation and love to a world that needs Him and needs it. We have the message and the mission of reconciliation. So, as much as I feel overwhelmed by talking about this subject, the reason I enter into it is that God says, I give you that opportunity. And He gives it to us all the time with our frail words, and they sometimes feel frail, don't they? You get into the work or into your school or into your family and you try to say something about God or about Jesus and it doesn't seem as eloquent as it should be. I just want you to know that when you do it as faithfully as you can and in humility, God will empower your words. It will be as if you are speaking the very words of God. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Paul, who has said, I was a sinner and he came to me and he made things new. And now he is entrusted to me and to us the message and the ministry of reconciliation, we have the opportunity. It is as if we are standing in the very place of God telling people you can be made right with God. Your life can begin again. God will receive you and make all things new. So the other thing I'm going to want you to think about when we have our prayer time is first, do you yourself, as the one to whom the message and ministry of reconciliation has been entrusted, do you have broken relationships? that need to be mended. When I talk about this, almost always the pushback I get is, yes, I have this broken one, but they deserve it to be broken. 98% of the problem is theirs. And, and it may re- I can think of situations where that, that would be true. But we've got to come back to the, to the biblical message. In this matter with God... When we were broken from God, how much, what percentage of the problem was His and what percentage ours? You think 1% of the problem was God? You see what this message of grace does to us, don't you? It humbles us so that we can't look at anybody with snootiness and pride. That's a technical term in the Bible. <laughs> and pride. We can never be self-righteous. God came to us, comes to us, offers Himself to us, died for us while we were 100% in the wrong. And then Jesus says, As the Father sent me, I send you. I ask you to make sure that you make a commitment today to make that relationship where there is brokenness right. And then by God's grace to become His agent of reconciliation. Reconciliation. This story of our faith begins with, in the beginning, God created. And I'll tell you, that work's still going on. He will recreate you. He will recreate us. But He asks us to receive Him, to respond to Him as the powerful and relational God that our Heavenly Father is to his glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.